first person I've spoken to in like five days. Oh God, I'm so sorry. I would have picked a better human. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> picked a better I'm kidding conversation. Too. I'm kidding too. No, I'm kidding. Gosh, uh, does that mean you're holed up with the kids? Oh yes. Yeah. We are in a province that is very slowly shutting down. The government has announced in the last hour that uh, all bars pools, uh, ski clubs, um, everything needs to, to close with the exception of restaurants. They're asking restaurants to only operate at 50% capacity. So I think by the end of this week, we'll probably also have no restaurants and it will very much be only the grocery store and the pharmacy that will be open to welcome us. <laughs> How's it going in LA? I saw that viral image of folks stocking up on guns. What? You didn't need to tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't need to know about that. I I mean, I, like I imagine many of the people who listen uh, to our show are, I have been obsessively <laughs> checking the news uh, because it seems to update every half an hour with something new. And I went to the grocery store, you know, despite what I was saying last week about being immigrant prepared, I went to the grocery store for a friend <laughs> Uh, a couple days ago and um, you know just don't don't do that if you're living in South in in Los Angeles just it's there's nothing there there's no point there's like there's no potatoes there's no onions there's no pet food there's no water there's no pasta there's no canned food there's just there's nothing but lineups very long lineups so if you go in to get uh, frozen pizza like I did be prepared to spend two hours of your life uh, in the grocery store. It's great. Everything's totally normal. Yeah, our, my grocery store's got an air of normalcy to it until you get to the aisles that like I'm always uh, purchasing stuff from. So like, there was no bananas <laughs> today at all. Uh, all of the potatoes and onions are totally gone, which I'm a little bit worried about because I always have a good supply of onions, except I'm not sure I do right now. Ooh, we will see. Uh, and... Um, oats were, were were gone and then yeah this whole toilet paper thing um there's really no toilet paper left at all but everything else is great so i mean you know if you have to survive off of bread and peanut butter like we're totally good in quebec city i mean i fully recommend that people go to the immigrant grocery stores <laughs> i went to one yes. yesterday to get another can of mackerel to round out my collection of canned fish which i love and <laughs> <laughs> And uh, as I, I'm like talking to, to the guy who runs the store and he's like, all these people have been coming in trying to take everything. And I'm like, put it back on the shelf. We need enough for everyone. <laughs> I'm like, this is oh, great. So and they've great. got they've got lots of everything still. <laughs> so he just th thought the whole thing was very funny and that people were being irrational, which is maybe somewhat true, maybe somewhat not true as well. <laughs> maybe something we should discuss. But Go to your local immigrant food store. They could use the cash. And also, they probably have the shit that you need. Yeah. Yeah, this episode, I mean, we already talked about the coronavirus. And then it was like, well, is there any other news in the world? And there is. But this episode's still going to be about the coronavirus. <laughs> yep. Yes, it is. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, podcasting is such a perfect quarantine medium. Because, like, I'm currently by myself. You're currently by yourself. We're talking to 
you, dear leader, right, dear leader, oh my God, dear, wow. <laughs> dear listener, <laughs> into your ear. And we are all in this together. That's true. But one of the things that I'm really struggling with is what that actually means. There's a lot of people that are like, you know, we, we're in this together. We have to get through this together. We're going to do this together, but separately. But the material aspect of what that actually means is remains still quite elusive to me. Um, have I come to grips with the fact that the next 14 days I'm going to be by myself with two kids cooped up in a house? I'm not in a house, in an apartment. I'm not sure I have come to that realization yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that sounds like a particularly hard detail that you yeah. find yourself with with twins yeah I mean it's it's not ideal but as they've announced in Quebec and I know other regions uh, in the country have talked about this as well you know they're stopping visits for all kinds of people uh, they stop visits in Ontario to uh, to people who are in Ontario jails or prisons yeah. and they and old folks' homes. Well, yeah, and, and they stopped visits to old folks' homes. And so, you know, on the radio today, uh, out of CBC Montreal, they interviewed a woman who said that if she's not able to care for her husband, who's in one of uh, the province's long-term care facilities, he will die from neglect because we have a crisis of staffing at these facilities already. We've had a crisis in staffing for years. And uh, simply saying no visitors, like these are not visitors. These are the people that actually will bathe the person that is living there because they don't get baths more than once a week um, as per provincial protocols or whatever because of staffing problems or they're the ones that will help them divide their medicine or help them brush their hair or help feed them I mean like there's so much of our system that relies on unpaid personal or family ties that when we have an ordinance like we have right now for everybody to stay in their house and to not visit with other people a huge aspect of our society and of our economy is going to frankly collapse because we just haven't created those jobs because the gaps have been filled by people doing volunteer work. So I think that that's kind of more what we'll be talking about today. The, the, the way that this crisis has laid bare all of the problems that exist within society. And I mean, I've got a bit of an, of an interest in going back and listening to all of our old podcasts and, and just being like, and when the coronavirus hits, this is what, it's going to happen for <laughs> this issue and that issue and this issue because well that's uh, that's one of the things it just it feels almost like this terrible i told you so moment <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> probably for people on the left because you know, there's so much um that we constantly talk about of what needs to shift with society that had those shifts happened uh, some of the stuff that we're struggling with right now globally would not be happening. And so, you know, like, I hate to say, I hate to think it, you know, like this <laughs> whole I told you so moment. But that's a lot of what's happening. And in addition to that, we see very, very fast changes happening that prove that everything that we would have talked about uh, being possible a year ago is now being proven to be possible. You know, yeah. like uh, the the swiftness with which uh, the city of Toronto said, okay, well, we are going to commandeer some hotels and we're going to get uh, people who uh, uh, who are homeless into these hotels to, to prevent spread. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> you could do that. <laughs> you could do that. You know, a year after year, there's a problem with people 
dying on the streets from the cold in the winter uh, because there's not enough shelter space. And Toronto's like, we're just going to commandeer a hotel. We're good. We can do this to save other people from getting this virus. And it means that they, they could have done either commandeering hotels or, I don't know, use uh, commandeering the hotel budget for several years uh, to build more shelters, yeah. you know, or to build more affordable housing or to come up with, like, you know, all of these things prove what was possible. And not just that. I mean, we're seeing across North America that there's some jurisdictions where uh, evictions are being put on hold. <laughs> it's like, well, isn't that nice? Evictions are being put on hold. <laughs> Rent is being put on hold mortgages in Italy. I'm sure and Justin Trudeau said that he was thinking about that being put on hold. <laughs> if this lasts for more than two weeks, we will definitely see those kinds of measures because it will be impossible for the banks to justify continually putting the screws to us while so many of us are not actually working our normal incomes or any income at all. And that's, uh, you know, like that's uh, going to be very terrifying. Um, the, I mean, it is already terrifying. I don't, okay, so like <laughs> we're kind of talking about this disjointed, but it's just, that's what it feels like in my head too. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, obviously I'm not home. I'm in the U.S. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no one's really thinking about the international students, which, you know, feels like perhaps we're like, should be on the last rung. <laughs> <laughs> the like uh, groups to be concerned about i get that but it's it's like nah, what's <laughs> what should we do we got like uh, this this communication from the international center at the ucla at ucla being like you could go home but if you're home for too long you might not be able to come back but we don't anticipate that the government will do that <laughs> but we cannot guarantee <laughs> it's just like so you sent me this email to just uh, reify my panic. Great, right. thank you. Of course, <laughs> just, <laughs> this is great. Uh, so it just it just feels really like you know. I mean, obviously, all of this is very unprecedented. It feels almost paralyzing. Like what is happening? What is going on? So okay, how to talk about this stuff? I think a good place to start is kind of where we have, we've already started, which is all all things are possible. And we told you so. Yes. <laughs> yeah, all things are possible. And I mean, this is this is a historic moment. I was joking with a friend of mine earlier today who had the um, the the love and the foresight to call me to just say, hey, she's a she's a listener of the podcast. So I'll say, hey. And uh, I said something to the effect of um, this is going to have impacts like for the next 10 and 20 years, because there's going to be like an entire year of students that never learned trigonometry or something. <laughs> Uh, the interruption in schooling is 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 a major problem, and and you know part of like I I too feel this level of paralyzed like oh my gosh I'm able to get through it because I have to deal with two like uh, kids that are driving me crazy, <laughs> but um, but I I definitely uh, appreciate that this feels like there's nothing we can do and it's really difficult and then I take a lot of comfort in uh, something that you said last week which is like it's also okay for us to do nothing and I mean I'm not driven by having to always work I love I love working I love writing and so I'm one of these people that doesn't mind working all the time because I really do love what I what I do but I also really love not doing anything like I'm really a huge fan of, of unplugging and just like doing nothing. And I think that if we approach the next two weeks as a moment to literally do nothing, to try and um, sit with ourselves or sit with whoever we're quarantined with, uh, with whatever books we are quarantined with, 
uh, with whatever uh, apartment messes that we can really get to work on cleaning for the first time ever. Uh, that has really helped to restore some of my feeling of like complete helplessness. But what certainly doesn't help is uh, I think two things. And number one, and I'd be very interested to hear what you think about this, but there's a, a strange trend, not strange, because I, I understand where it's coming from, but a trend of people online to really scold folks who are not necessarily uh, uh, respecting the request to stay indoors. And I think that that is an interesting problem that happens when you have a major crisis that's facing everyone and you're like, we're in this together, we're in this together, how dare you go out and have a beer, how dare you go out and have a good time. And I think that it's revealing um, some really major generational differences with how people understand their role within a collective body or within society. And it's so interesting because this is the same generation of people. I'm talking about younger people. You know, there was two parties, one at Queens and one at Waterloo that went viral. And people were like, oh, these fucking kids, like they're going to kill us all. Um, this is the generation of people who uh, have helped launch Jordan Peterson into prominence. And this Jordan Peterson, of course, is a guy who talks about how the collective is like an evil thing, that it, it raises individuality and we need to resist the collective and we need to exalt the individual, which, of course, is like the basis of capitalism and neoliberalism. But it is true that for many generations of people who are under the age of 45 uh, and then it gets like, you know, more intense the younger you get. That this idea that we have a, a collective responsibility has never really entered into uh, anything about how they exist in the world because the world has put blame solely on their shoulders, has forced them to pay for things solely themselves, um, has made their own success, the, the, their own personal responsibility. And, and it's interesting now to see when we actually do need the collective to work for people to be like, ah, oh, look at these damn kids, rather than being like, holy fuck, we really set ourselves up for a massive problem for when a situation like this arises. Yeah, I also think that there is a little bit of a generational um, shift in how we understand the news. Yeah. And I say that uh, as someone who's going to school with a lot of uh, Generation Z people. <laughs> <laughs> I one of the the first conversations that I had about the coronavirus, but you know when it was just you know about a month ago, with some folks, uh, with a bunch of young people, younger people than myself, they none of them believed that it was real. <laughs> um, it was like this very strange conversation with like you know thirty year old law students versus twenty two year old law students. The thirty year olds being like, yeah, it's probably real, and they're them being like, nope, this is a conspiracy to to hide the fact that, you know, like the impeachment stuff is no longer on, on the news anymore. And there's a way that this, this generation has been, you know, has grown up during uh, Fox as King <laughs> era uh, that mm. makes them really skeptical about everything that they hear on the news. And of course we are also very skeptical about the things that we hear on the news, but I think that we have a, a particular type of media literacy that's couched in, um, having had, having, you know, been around at a time when the news was a little bit more reliable than it is now. Um, but I think that a lot of young people today know that they can't really ne necessarily trust what's on the news and don't have a way of discerning what's real or what's not. And so who cares? <laughs> you know, like there's been a yeah. lot of uh, comparison uh, in, in, online around the response to this versus the response to climate change and it's like something like that can also give you this like who cares like 
what is really real because if climate change the climate crisis is also um so dire to us and there's never been this type of response what is this response really about and that's the kind of um uh conversations that i'm seeing amongst a, a lot of the younger generation and so and that's that makes sense <laughs> like if that's if that's how you view yeah. the news then you really aren't gonna give a shit like it's it's not going to impact um your own uh individual and as you say uh indivi like in an individualist sense uh way of being in the world that and if you're panicked one of the things that you might want to do is be around people and and that might that that desire uh might you know just irrationally override um, whatever else people are telling you is the best thing to do. So, well, of course, right? Like I, I made this point as well uh, online about how news has forsaken young people. I mean, like the news industry has never done a very good job covering young people at all, uh, covering their issues, covering things that they care about, giving voice to young people. I mean, you know, the, 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 the group of people that control Canadian newsrooms now uh, are of an age, many of them, the older kind of end of the spectrum, are at an age where they all started in news when they were like 19 and 20 and 21 years old. And that that has a profound impact on how you interact with the news. If you can get a mainstream uh, job in a newsroom at the age of 20, as was more normal in the 60s and the 70s and the early 80s, like you're going to feel that the news represents you better and that there's coverage that speaks to your issues. Now, generalize the absence of that reality entirety, entirely for uh, a whole bunch of generations that that there is no access to young people to actually working in the in the news media. The news media is shrinking like crazy and it is getting I mean, the 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 way that news reports things. I mean, it feels often smarmy. It feels condescending. It feels like you're not getting the whole story. And it's one thing to know that you're not getting the whole story and you can cut through that. And then you can at least like read the National Post and, and despise it. But it's still like, you know, that some of that's going to be absolutely true. Same with the Toronto Sun. You're going to read the Toronto Sun and know that the reporting is going to be as true as it can be. But if you have no positive experiences with news, like in a, in a situation like this, you're going to be expected to listen to someone who you've never had any respect for or experience listening to. Like, of course not. Yeah. Which is also why folks like Joe Rogan are so popular, right? Because because it's not like these folks are not consuming media. They're consuming consuming media in a different place a lot of times, mm -hmm. or they're consuming alternative media. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but but when you kind of broaden this or generalize this across entire generations, it's it's not a surprise at all. We've it's a it's a self fulfilling prophecy, and it is the natural re end result of of uh, of a society that has been fundamentally transformed by neoliberalism. I mean, it's hard enough for me to have to listen to the journalists that I respect the least giving me updates on this. Yeah. <laughs> and knowing that, you know, while I don't trust at all their analysis on what's happening in Ottawa, I still have to listen to them to hear the, what, the information, right? Like, what am I supposed to do? And I'm, I, I'm, I study journalism. I work in media. I mean, I'm able to set aside my distaste for some of these people and still listen to them and not think that every single thing coming out of their mouth is bullshit. But it is, it is very important for us to consider um, just the, the generational betrayal that has existed within our society 
and how it is coming home to roost in in some of these ways. And of course, it's not widespread. There's a lot of, of young people who are engaged and who get it and who are going to be self-isolating or whatever. But what the fuck does self-quarantine look like when you're a second year student living in res? Well, this, well, this is the other thing, right? Um, in addition, it's like this is this is the problem with society, right? You can't just tell people to go do something. <laughs> you have to make it possible for them to do it. <laughs> yes. You know, like it, it has to be structural. You can't just expect to say, hey, individuals all over the world, stay home. and <laughs> Expect that that's going to work. It's not. Everybody has differing abilities to, one, make that choice because it is a choice if you're telling people, hey, stay home and you're not making any structural changes around it. You're asking them to make a choice. And some people have the ability to make that choice and some people don't. But if yep. you're saying, OK, great, classes are online. OK, excellent. So now students are stuck in a residence and they're what going to be stuck in that residence forever. <laughs> they still need to they still need to go out they still need to get food they're still lived in really small cramped apartments where they can't hold a lot of things they don't have storage rooms like what are, what are they going to do they need to go out nobody's yeah. bringing them stuff right and at the same time that you're doing that you're not closing the campuses so custodians are still at school the libraries are still open professors are expected to go to school and teach from school um, on an online pr platform which sends a message to these young people that not that serious. And so, yeah. you know what people are doing at UCLA and I'm sure other places? They're booking rooms in the library so they can get together and have class together on Zoom. Of course. They're just recreating class. Because why the fuck wouldn't yeah. they? <laughs> why wouldn't they do that? Nobody wants to be alone for 10 days at a time, especially when it really seems like if you know, you're you're creating the situation where you're saying structurally students stay home, but you're also creating a situation where you're saying students you can still you can still come to school. The gym at school is still open. The fitness classes are still oh going on. It's like all of these mixed messages. It's it's not helpful. And with with as with anything that like any social issue, it has to be a, a collective, institutional kind of systemic response so just saying stay home is going to work for people who can decide to stay home who have that privilege i have that privilege right now i can decide to stay home because i'm not working right now uh somebody else who uh, makes all of their work uh, all of their funds using uber or lyft or in the gig economy may not have that choice may have only had last week enough groceries to last up until Wednesday of this week. And then what? How are they supposed to stay home? There has to be a systemic response around this stuff that takes into account all of this. And if you're uncertain because, you know, Justin Trudeau has said we are considering um, stopping rent payments, we'll get back to you on that, but we don't know when or how, you can't stop working. You can't stop going to... Uh, places where you might be in contact with lots and lots of people. And people shouldn't be individually blamed for that. You especially can't stop working if your job is working at a grocery <laughs> grocery store, right? Like, well, yeah, and then there's that. Yeah, I was at the, the, the grocery store this afternoon, and everyone at the cash was under the age of 25. I mean, and that's not normal in my grocery store. My grocery store has actually got quite a diversity of uh, who works there, especially in terms of age. And... Yeah. So we have to keep parts of this economy running 
And what are the safeguards to make sure that those folks who are going to work, who have to put themselves at risk because, you know, we all need food and whatever, toilet paper, um, how is society protecting them? I heard an interesting thing today that there is a directive that people should try not to pay with cash, um, that um, that people, that cashiers are being asked to not handle debit cards or credit cards or phones if they're making phone payments, and that gloves will probably be, uh, you know, unrolled as... Uh, as, as this continues to ramp up, uh, there's been changes to uh, our buses where like buses are getting cleaned every day. <laughs> I didn't appreciate that buses weren't getting cleaned every day before this. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, there are so many aspects to our lives that we cannot shut down in a, in a moment's notice. And I think that people need to be really appreciative of the fact that not everyone can. You know, and it and it doesn't come down to well, uh, you know, this twenty two year old's out partying, and therefore my sick parent is going to die. I mean, we a pandemic is a pandemic; it's going to enter the population. People are going to get sick. If you really want to get mad at people, get mad at everyone who was on a cruise in the months of January and February. I mean, <laughs> that that was the way it traveled the worst, right? And then how the cruise companies uh, undercut uh, or. or undercut health and safety so that they boost their profits, right? So they recircle, recirculate air and all this kind of stuff that made other people sick on these cruise ships. That, that if we really want to play the blame game, we can do that, but it's not that helpful. And like, I get that it's cathartic in some cases and, and absolutely people need catharsis right now for sure. But this is also where I think that we need to be more creative collectively. Like how do we, how do we spend time together online like we are the digital generation and younger is even more and I'm still feeling 100% fucking isolated from people how did that happen Mm -hmm. I have no answer for you well but it's fascinating right it's because we've been lied to to say that we actually don't need one another this has been the big lie fed to us like from from the eight like the era of Margaret Thatcher right up until today right that you destroy society you destroy people's conception of their place within society and in in return they get to keep more of their tax dollars they don't uh, they can they can choose to purchase certain kinds of education they can choose to purchase certain kinds of health care that that public services social services should always be cut as much as they can be because that makes them more efficient and all this kind of bullshit and then you get to this situation and it's like, if you look at the numbers between France and Germany, I don't have an answer to this. So I'm not, I'm not making correlation arguments. You People should look this up online. But if you look at the difference between the number of dead in France and Germany versus the number of infected, the infectious numbers are not that different. There's several thousand. But the death differences is enormous. It's like 10 times of the people have died in France than in Germany as of the, the stats that I saw yesterday, which was Saturday, March, uh, I don't even know, uh, 14th. And so what, what is happening there? Well, I, as a Canadian, I want to know what the difference is going on between there. Um, obviously, journalists are stretched to, the, to the, their limit. So I also don't actually blame current media coverage uh, on, on, on anything because I think people are doing their best. But one of the things that Germany has is a much higher bed rate than, than Canada has for how many um, hospital beds there are per, per capita. Much higher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's small fixes mm-hmm. like that that we always knew was going to po- pose a problem. And we always talked about it as like the baby boomer bulge. As people are getting older, there's going to be need, need, um, need more uh, long-term care facilities and, and, and hospitals. And so what did we do? Well, we allowed private long-term care facilities, for-profit long-term care facilities to operate. We have no national home care program at all to help families uh, uh, care for people in their homes if that's um, if that's 
what they want to do or if that makes the most sense. And we're not funding our public health care system at the level that it needs to be. And and all of the kind of the lessons that we seem to have learned from SARS, I mean, some of them are certainly helping uh, right now, but there were stockpiles that we were supposed to have that we've depleted. We're now running out of uh, test um, testing kits to make sure that people are able to test people for coronavirus. Then you ask yourself, well, every time someone wanted to privatize uh, laundry services in a, ho- in a hospital facility, every time they want to pro- privatize food services in a hospital facility, it's to cut money. Every time you cut money, you start to see more diseases circulate in these, uh, in these uh, environments anyway, because every- everything is about the bottom line. And it just starts, you start to go in this, this circle and spiral all the way down and go, wait a minute, this is why we created the society that we did after the after the wars because people were sick of seeing tens of millions of people dying whether through war or through the influenza outbreak and by the 1950s and the 1960s it was like okay we'll have we'll we'll create these social welfare situations to try and mitigate some of the ravages that we saw in the past the the crash the economic crash of 1929 and the and the economic ravages of the great depression and we've totally forgotten that and so for everyone who's in power who has helped to make the the system what it is whether you're conservative or you're liberal i mean i just have just the biggest fuck you to give every single one of you um which i can't because we're all uh you know in quarantine <laughs> yeah it's um it's pretty spectacular um the um, the way how obvious it feels that something like this um we could be in such a better position to deal with it and and we're just not uh because of choices yeah. uh that have been made that that didn't have to be made like i when i saw that the the us government is putting 1.5 trillion dollars um, as a into the into finance, as you know, as the uh, announcement came out, is that what, that's what it says. They're injecting uh, 1.5 trillion dollars into the finance sector as a uh, stimulus. <laughs> that's that's more than double what was used as a bailout in 2008. And if that money is there, if that money was there. <laughs> then shouldn't everybody in that country, in this country that I'm currently in, have health care? I just, and in the same token, you know, uh, a $1 billion uh, fund from uh, Canada to, 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 to deal with this, which is like, yeah, that's great. But if that money was there, couldn't it have already been in use to mitigate some of the stuff that we're seeing now? I, it just, it seems so irresponsible to me uh, that, all of these things that we know can help in times of panic and just make society better in times of not panic. We've just held on to uh, the, the people in power have made the decision that they're, they're going to keep it in their back pocket for the next election or <laughs> keep it in their back pocket forever for elections uh, forever. If we're talking about things like childcare and pharmacare, and it just seems so unbelievably irresponsible and people uh, will die because of it. And that's really scary. <sighs> it's just so, so gross. And also some of the ways that the, you, you know, just watching the politicians respond to this and, and the ways that they're trying to keep us calm that seem to make no sense. Like, uh, just, was it yesterday or two days ago? I can't even re- remember now because all of my days are exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you might be thinking, well, Sandy, you have Zoom, uh, you have 
class on Zoom, so they're not exactly the same. You still have class. Let me tell you how I just sign into that Zoom for <laughs> attendance and go and do something else, okay? So, because uh, I have no ability to do class right now. We'll try tomorrow. Uh, but in any case, uh, you know, the, the, the press conference that Trump had where he's shaking everybody's hands, <laughs> touching everything possible, saying that he's not going to get tested uh, because he doesn't need to, um, even though he was like around and shaking hands and coming into close contact with people who've tested positive. And then saying, you know, people who have symptoms and have been around people should be uh, self-quarantining, um, should be uh, looking to see if they have, uh, uh, if they can get tested. If you're coming from overseas, you should be and have been in contact with people in a country like Italy, you should be self-quarantining. And then, you know, journalists being like, that doesn't <laughs> square, Mr. Trump. <laughs> you, you are of those people. And you are saying that you will n do neither of those things. He's like, absolutely not. I am fine. You know, like, it, it doesn't make any sense, uh, let alone his whole, we have brought the greatest team together <laughs> to work on this. Uh, Target, CVS, Walgreens, <laughs> uh, Google, come on up. Tell the people what they're going to get in the next couple of weeks. Like that was the most bizarre thing. And then also not much better in Canada. You know, when <laughs> Justin Trudeau is is talking about what uh, uh, what the the measures are that Canada's taking uh, two days ago or whatever it was uh, outside of his house. And people are like, you know, are you are you going to get tested? You know, your wife. And he's like, absolutely not. I have no reason to get tested. I have no <laughs> symptoms. But people who are coming from countries where, you know, like uh, if you're traveling overseas and you're coming in, you should be self-quarantining. Um, you should get te get tested if you're from these if you are coming from these particular countries. And again, journalists are like, that doesn't square, Mr. Prime Minister, because what you're saying uh, seems to be in direct uh, contradiction with what you're doing yourself or what you're saying you're doing yourself. And he's like, uh, my doctors say I'm totally fine. I'm asymptomatic. I do not need a test. And I just think that those strategies seem to me to be like a way to try to keep the population calm because there's n like yeah. no doubt in my mind that ma that man has been tested <laughs> that both of those men have been tested that both of those men have been tested like obviously trump has now admitted that he was tested but I, you know i just it just seems ridiculous uh that that would be the way that they're trying to uh, placate people and it just goes uh, more towards all of this you can't trust what you're hearing <laughs> shit which just makes everything yeah. worse stop it well I don't know how you reacted when uh, uh, Sean Pang the foreign affairs minister put out that tweet about how Canadians should just come home right away it was like do you have more oh, information the, the come home right away while you still yeah. can tweet it was like hey 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 what does that mean could you please spell out the last part there because some of us really need to know what that <laughs> That's means exactly what i said it was like it's like sorry are you do you know that trump is going to do something or are you afraid that trump is erratic and we don't know what he's going to do because if you think he's erratic we need you to say that right you're the, the the Canadian's ability to like not speak of the man who shall not be named is so impressive. Oh my God. And it's like, sorry, mm -hmm. can you just state straight up, we have no idea what the United States is doing. If they cancel commercial air in the next week, you, you, you will find yourself stuck in the United States. Just say that. Unless you're saying that because you know that you're going to ban 
commercial air traffic. Mm -hmm. We need to know which direction this is going. Is this our government or is this our government super afraid of the erratic Donald Trump? That helps me kind of go, okay, well, if that's the case, then then let's do this. And if it's the case, then let's do that. Because, you know, my, my partner is, you know, also in the United States right now. So there's there's so much confusion and I'm hearing a lot of confusion from people I speak to. And a lot of folks I'm, are responding with, well, how can you be so, so, so stupid to have gone to the United States during March break or whatever? And it's like people make complicated decisions all the time. People make bad decisions all the time. I mean, and... <laughs> But also, I don't think people understand how quickly this no, changed. No, exactly. Like, I was I was 100% going to be in Montreal right now <laughs> <laughs> up until, I mean, I, my flight was on Friday. And it was up until, like, literally uh, Thursday at maybe, like, like, 8 p.m. that it was confirmed that everything was canceled because... I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. You know, it's like you're you're really reliant sometimes on on the cash that you get from freelance or or whatever sort of work that you're doing, and you're like, well, well, what is the situation? And I'm watching the news on Thursday, and was it Thursday that the NBA? It was either Thursday or Wednesday. I can't remember that the NBA. I think it was Wednesday. Yeah. So Wednesday is the NBA. All other sports teams is Thursday. <laughs> and so, you know, the NBA cancels. And, and then that was when I, I think that the panic level started to skyrocket. And, you know, I'm thinking uh, maybe I should be rethinking these Montreal plans. But at the time, you know, I was I was in Vancouver and Toronto just a few days ago. And it wasn't that yeah. bad, you know? And yep. so people making the decision to go off for, for March break or, like, not being able to change those decisions or in the midst of that decision, like, leave people the fuck alone. Things have not, <laughs> like, the communication that we're getting from uh, from official sources hasn't been super great okay it hasn't been super great and let's remember that in the last couple of weeks some of the communication has been don't worry about this this is just the flu and some of the communication has been hunker down uh get into your basement with all of the hoarded toilet paper that you have and never leave and so the fact that people's response to that is between those two extremes makes sense totally <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, it totally makes sense, especially because, like, there are so many competing ways that we make our decisions and we weigh things differently. I mean, I I just am marvel at the fact that I saw you a week and a half ago in L.A. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I I still am technically uh, in the 14-day quarantine, quarantine period from uh, being in Philadelphia, being in, in at... Uh, on, on our March break vacation and I had a, a an appointment at the hospital for my kid and I called them and I'm like, you know, we have no symptoms. We'd have no reason to believe that we were exposed, but we don't have any idea really like American testing wasn't very good. Should we cancel this, this, this appointment? And they're like, no, 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 come on in if you've got no symptoms. So, I mean, it's very easy to say that this stuff is super clear online. It's not. <laughs> um, and then the, the channels to get information. I mean, I get that people want to know what's going on. Of course, our health phone numbers have all been just totally bombarded. People are calling 811. Uh, and then a lot of provinces have opened up other health uh, phone lines for the coronavirus. The reality is, is we just don't know. And I think that for me, I've really had a moment this week where I finally felt like I understood like what was at stake 
for my my personal movements. It took, you know, two weeks of international travel and of, of really paying attention to the news. I mean, I'm not downplaying playing this uh, crisis at all, but really looking at what the risks are, really looking at how things are spreading. And it wasn't until this week when I started to see articles coming out about how many people are transmitting the, the disease without symptoms at all. Mm-hmm. And just looking at the modeling of what happened out of China and how it spread and how it, there had to have been people who were completely asymptomatic spreading this disease. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's there that I, I finally was at a moment where I was like, okay, so this is the most important part of this, that it actually has nothing to do with how you feel. Because telling people don't go to work sick, I mean, we've been told that for years and years and years, and people go to work sick all the time for various reasons, or they go and play sports sick all the time for various reasons, not the least of which is to just feel good while, when you're feeling shitty. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then it's like, okay, so if, if the whole plan is to, is to slow the spread of this illness, and we have no idea if we even have it, because you might not have any symptoms then this is why we're in self-quarantine. And, and all of a sudden, I could justify to myself why my kids weren't seeing their friends, why I'm not going to go to a cafe, while, it, while well, I have to go to the supermarket all the time because I have to go with two kids and I can't carry stuff uh, very much. But that, that for me was like, okay, th- this is a new, a new kind of world. I know it's a new kind of world, but that process of feeling it and understanding it, you know, that takes time. And everyone's going to be processing that totally differently or similarly. I think some of the things that we have to be concerned about uh, moving forward um, uh, as we you know, go through and come out of this eventually is what this is going to mean in the future. Now that we know um, what's possible, what changes can be made at the drop of a dime to support people, um, how are we going to make sure that people never forget that in the future? Never forget that right. that's possible. Right. What sort of organizing movements are we putting in place now uh, to make sure that we remember that we have a society that can house people, that we have a society that can take care of people and make sure that everybody has health care, um, that we have a society that can respond uh, to some of the things that we have always needed um, and we're not willing to give it to us until this, this moment. And the other, the other thing that we're going to, to need to be paying very close attention to is who is benefiting from what's happening right now. Um, I don't know if this is a coincidence, but there's been a lot of advertising where I'm at right now about Amazon's humanless stores that they're starting to put into place. I think there's some uh, pilots somewhere in, in New York, but there's ads everywhere right now um, in L.A. about how Amazon is going to be moving forward with humanless oh. stores where you just go in um, and I guess you flash your card or something and there's no humans in the store. <laughs> there's also uh, Zoom, the Zoom billionaire guy, uh, which all the schools seem to be using right now is Zoom, Like, which is, an, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, it's an online meeting platform. It's like, you know, it's basically Skype essentially, but uh, it has a better interface for like, you can raise your hand on it and uh, it just has a better interface for multi-person meetings. Um, that guy has announced that he's making Zoom free for, um, for uh, elementary schools during this panic. And while you may be thinking, wow, what a, what a great guy, elementary and high schools, I believe, during this, uh, during this time of panic. And it, you might be thinking, wow, what a great guy to make his platform free. It's like clearly this is happening because he's uh, attempting to create some sort of reliance. <laughs> 
so that in the future yeah. schools will need to use this platform. Uh, that guy stands to get very, very rich coming out of this because it just seems like that's what all the schools are using. Every every teacher who's being asked to put their stuff online, um, you know, just beware <laughs> about doing very well at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. Uh, you know, people are going to see the, that as a way to save money uh, and to save on resources uh, if it goes well enough. Uh, in the future. So we have to really keep our eyes on these things and see what the consequences could be like months down the line. Yeah, my partner has already gotten two or three online education um, like ads or stuff, use our platform for free uh, through his Penn State email address. And so there's no question that these folks are are very uh, interested. But it's not even just that. I mean, like, like I talked about, you know, being encouraged to not use cash. Like I fully oppose a cashless society. So how is that... <laughs> going to happen once once everything calms down are we all going to be pushed to being in uh, the uh, the electronic money world which of course has huge implications for for privacy and surveillance and all this kind of thing um are we uh are we paying attention to how our ability to to gather in large groups of people is going to be impacted and state surveillance and what happens when people start breaking curfew or start breaking uh quarantine like what are the powers of the state to start actually like coming down heavy on folks we are still in the shock moment and um i think that this moment is 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 very important for the left to think about all the ways that we can make things better because obviously our solutions not only would mitigate a lot of the problems that we're facing but could actually put us into a better place you know once we're through this but the right is way more sophisticated at figuring out how to capitalize off of this stuff and it's gonna be bad <laughs> if we're not careful it's gonna be bad and we need to be careful about like some of the political things that are um, on the horizon because, you know, I, whenever I listen to the news and I, I, I keep hearing these people being like, I'm so, so glad that the government's not politicizing this or, you know, people shouldn't be politicizing this. Like all of this is super political. Like, <laughs> let's not kid ourselves. OK, <laughs> um, but we're you know, the budget was delayed. Um what else will be delayed in the UK? Some smaller, it's not like uh, statewide elections, but some smaller elections have been postponed. Um, We've had elections postponed in Quebec. Quebec has elections. had elections postponed. Uh, the primaries have been postponed in the US. Like there, there is this, this sense uh, that some scientists have been talking about that, you know, things will get bad. They'll get better in the summer and then they'll get bad again in the fall. Well, the fall is a yep. big election time. I, I, you know, I think that people just need to be paying attention uh, to not not just the economic effects, not just the health effects, but the political effects as well. We have to make sure that we still have a handle on what little democracy we have. <laughs> well, we can't end up. We can't end on that note. That was too, too, too ominous. <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah. no, that was way too ominous. <laughs> well, you know, I, one thing would, that would be useful, I think, is, uh, you know, we, we, a lot of us have uh, more time on our hands. And if you have started to do something that you find to be really, like, calming and fun and good enough for the time being, like, share it with us. You know, tweet at us or send us an email and we'd love to share some of those stories because I think... Um, I've certainly gotten some ideas from folks online and I appreciate people thinking through how do we kind of survive this in this together, but separate kind of era. And maybe people even give away more books. <laughs> <laughs> because, 
if you're at home anyway, <laughs> we can know, do that. Send us some ideas of what's happening. It doesn't have to be like my book. Like we we'll, we can we'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll okay. get back to you. We'll talk about it and get back to you. But um, you know, just tell us what you're doing. Give us some ideas of how to uh, you know, keep ourselves occupied besides updating Twitter every fucking five minutes because. Gosh, I've been biting my lips so bad. Oh it's no, it's what I do, and I'm nervous. <laughs> there's just there's just shreds of raw skin now. So give me something else to do. <laughs> hey, maybe we should broadcast twice a week. <laughs> oh, I mean, it'll be totally easier now. Like I said, I'm not actually <laughs> in class I'm doing other things. <laughs> <laughs>